Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church invites you to join us every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us at wayfamily.church. Now get your Bibles ready and let's dive in. Hey, good morning, church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite you to open to Esther chapter 8. We will continue our series in Esther. Uh, Way Family Church is dedicated to the Word of the Lord. And so what we do is we take a book and we handle it from start to finish. There's uh, always something good for us there, right? Because the Bible, the scriptures are profitable for us, for our, for our growth, for rebuke, for building, for growing, for everything that we need, really. And sometimes we think, ah, that book won't necessarily edify me. But as we have seen, Esther has been tremendously helpful in our lives, and it continues to be. And so today I'd like to start off with just a a bit of an experience. I I don't mean to make this about me, but I have a story that I want to tell you just because I think it, it, uh, the moment I was studying for this sermon, I really, really just, I felt that the Lord brought this story for me to share with you. And this is an experience that I had back in 2000, I believe it was 2007, um, I took a trip to Guatemala, which is in Central America, with a friend. We were there for about a month, and we traveled all of Guatemala. And we came to this place. It's a beautiful site in Guatemala. This is called Lago Atitlan, Lake Atitlan. It is a beautiful, beautiful site surrounded by dormant volcanoes. And so this, this, this particular lake also is completely surrounded by towns, small towns, and each of them are named after the early leaders of the church, in Espanol, of course. And so you have San Juan, San Pedro, and then there's this town called Santiago, which if you didn't know, that's James. I know it's really different, right? <clears throat> we were in Santiago, La Laguna. That's the name of this town that my friend and I arrived in because it's pretty much the entryway to the rest of the towns. You, you have to get on the dock here, take one of those little boats, and it'll take you to whatever town that it is that you're trying to get. And so my friend and I are traveling, Americans, just kind of enjoying the thing, thinking that everything is hunky-dory like you would imagine a first world country to be. And so turns out that we missed our ferry for that day, and so we had to wait the entire day, because they only leave in the morning, in this town called Santiago. And so we didn't know what to do. That wasn't part of the plan. And so what we're gonna do is just sightsee. Well, it just so happens that this little boy, his name is Pedro, was there. Pedro, I'm going to guess that he was about maybe nine years old. He comes up to me and he asks me, do you need a tour guide? I'm available if you need a tour guide. I can show you the town. I can tell you where to go and all the places that you should see. And of course we said, yes, Pedro, that'd be really nice of you for for you to do that for us. And so we, we contracted Pedro because we knew that he came with a fare, right? to show us around. And Pedro was a really, really gentle boy and he was really kind and courteous and he showed us around and we asked him, came to the evening time, we asked him, what's the nicest restaurant that you have for us to try? Well, there is this one place, Uh, I will take you to it. And so he takes us to the downtown Santiago and, and there's the luxury restaurant and he says, only tourists go there so I'll wait out here. And so I said, no, no Pedro, you're my guest today. I want you to join us for dinner and I want you to order your own food. When was the last time you had a Pepsi? He's like, only for my birthday. You're gonna get a Pepsi too. And so Pedro 
is you can tell that he's moved by the invitation, but he's frozen and he doesn't, he doesn't come in with us. What's wrong, Pedro? And he says, may I please, please bring my brother with me? He's also hungry. I, I don't think that he's eaten today. And we said, Pedro, of course, how far is your brother? We can wait for you. It'll only take me five minutes. Just please let me go and, and get my brother with me, please. And, and we'll share a plate. You don't have to worry about him. It'll be like he's not there and he's pleading with me. Would this be okay? I said, yes, Pedro, go get your brother. And so Pedro goes and he grabs his brother. I have a picture of the two. And this is actually Pedro and his little brother, if you don't mind putting that picture up. And so I think his little brother's name was Carlos. They show up and they're ecstatic. They're so grateful to be there and they sit down and they don't even know how to order from this menu. They have no idea how to read. And so the waiter actually seemed to have known them because it's a small town. And uh, I asked the waiter to please bring them whatever they, he thought they would love. And so he did and they each got their own plate and they each got their own Pepsis and they were just ecstatic. They were as happy as it gets. And so they munch on their appetizer. Their appetizer was just a reed fried beans and chips and for them that was enough. And so once the plate came, it was like grilled chicken and whatever else had happened. They looked at it, they nibbled at it a little bit, and then Pedro once again pleads with me and he says, sir, can, can, I, can I please um, take this food home? I know my mom and dad are hungry too, and I have others, brothers and sisters, that they're older though. It, would it be okay if, if I take it home with me? I said, of course, Pedro. We asked the waiter to bring a box and to pack it up for him, and he says, Thank you so much. I, I promise it goes to my family. Please, thank you so much. And he's, he's pleading with me to allow him to do these things. And so each of the boys got a box of food and they ran home. They left us at the restaurant. We finished our meal. And we thought that was the end of Pedro, right? And so we get out of the restaurant. And at this point, it's evening. And we go into the hotel room. We're going to wait until the morning. We're going to head, uh, head towards the dock in the morning. We had nothing to do, so we thought, let's go check out that lake. Let's just go to the docks and enjoy, enjoy the scenery that evening. As we're walking out of the, the complex where we were staying, Pedro's out there. He was waiting for us. He was attentive to us. And he asked me, where are you going? I said, we're going to go hang out at the docks. He says, really? I said, yeah. You want to come with us? He's like, um, sure. And we walk and we start taking our steps there. And then he's like, wait, sir, wait, please, please. And he gets in front of me and he says, please, please don't go there. Please don't go there right now. There, there are really, really bad people there right now. And I don't want you to go there and I don't want you to be hurt and I don't want anything bad to happen to you. Please don't go there. Please go, go home. I know that you want to see the town, but please just go back to the hotel. Please don't come out here. And he keeps pleading and pleading and pleading. And so we got the message and we thought, okay, Pedro, have a good night. I gave him a few quetzales, that's the currency there. And he said, thank you so much, no, keep your money. He didn't even want to take it at that point. He felt that the food was enough payment. But we gave him this quetzales and we said, what did the Lord spare us from? I am 100% convinced that the Lord used Pedro to spare my friend and I from something terrible. Uh, the next morning we take off and we, didn't, we never saw Pedro again. And so I tell you this story because I truly believe that Pedro was put in our path to plead for something good. And time after time, he pleaded for something. He had this disposition of just asking gently, asking for purpose because he had someone else in mind. 
And so he pleaded that we wouldn't even go to the docks. He cared for us. He cared for his brother. He cared for his parents. And then he came to care for us. And he said, please, sir, don't go there. And I do believe that God used Pedro to save our lives or at least spare us from any kind of harm. And so today's sermon title is Pretty Good Pleading. It's about pleading. See, I didn't get off topic. <laughs> Little Rascals, remember that? Pretty good pleading. Uh, Alfalfa's brought because he broke the rules. The, they're the, the he-man woman haters. And he had a crush on a girl. How dare you? How do you plead? Please, oh, please, please have mercy on me, please. Pretty good pleading is what they said. Sometimes we need to plead for others, don't we? Sometimes that's what we do when we love another person and we know that there's danger or there's a necessity. It's important for us to come before whoever can help, specifically the Lord, and plead for them. And so there are moments, and I will say every moment is a good moment to plead to the Lord for someone else. And again, just kind of going back to the story here, like Pedro, little Pedro that I told you about, Esther had also won favor with the person that could help. Pedro totally won our favor. And we would do anything for the little guy. Esther won the favor of the king, King Xerxes, King Ahasuerus. The names are synonymous. And although the truth is out now, the truth is all out. We talked about that last week. And Haman was dealt with, and he was justly dealt with. And now he's gone. Here's the problem, though, and here's the situation. I feel like this is the recap of what this passage is about. Esther is still burdened. She's burdened by the thought of her people perishing. Therefore, she pleads with Xerxes for a solution because it hasn't arrived. She pleads for her people's salvation. She's interceding for them. For Haman was put to death, and rightly so, which was, again, not again, but I haven't said this, but it was enough to satisfy the king. Remember, Haman made the situation personal for the king as well. Him being put to death was enough to satisfy him. But Esther still has an issue. Her people are still under the threat of this edict. For Haman was put to death, but the edict remained. The plot against the Jews remained. So what happens next? Let's go to Esther chapter 8. Let's read this together. It says this. On the day King Ahasuerus... On that day, after um, Haman's put to death, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he had, what, for Esther, excuse me, can I start over? <laughs> On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and he gave it to Mordecai, and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, once again, Esther rose and stood before the king, and she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the things... And the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes. Let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? 
Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. An edict was written according to, that, uh, according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and to the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script and to, to each people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred for the royal stud, from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day, throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province being publicly displayed to all people. And the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service and rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command. And the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the county declared themselves Jews, for the fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would help us grow, Father, according to your wisdom, to your will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first thing I'd like to address here are the rewards and the responsibilities that both Esther and Mordecai acquired. Now, <clears throat> to Esther and Mordecai, this was given to them as a reward for what they had done. This, the king saw that, and there's no way that he was not going to reward this immediately, especially at this time, for we knew that Mordecai didn't receive a reward for the good that he had done for, for perhaps even years. And this time, there's an immediate recognition and reward. And with that reward, though, comes a whole new level of responsibility. And quite frankly, I don't see that they were at all thrilled about this reward. This is not what uh, Esther and Mordecai wanted. Have you ever received a gift, a good gift, but it wasn't necessarily what you wanted? Everyone here is so grateful like that? Yeah? I remember MugSwap a couple of years ago. You guys know who was there. MugSwap is our Christmas gift exchange that we do. By the way, you're invited to it this year. It's coming up in December. <laughs> and where we do a, a, a Christmas gift exchange with a mug, you had to bring a mug. One, the children were participating with us, and I forget which, which of our kids received this mug. The mug was pretty basic, but in it 
had a gift card for Circle K and some candies, I believe, or something, you know, and the kid was disappointed because that's not the mug that they wanted. That mug wasn't fun. They had no, no interest in the gift card, no interest in the goodies that were in there. They wanted the silly mug that someone else had. So this is kind of like the situation that Esther and Mordecai are in. We're trying, we're, we're putting our lives out there for the purpose of saving our kindred, our people, and you're giving me an estate? That's not what I want, that's a great gift. Make no mistakes, but that's not what we wanted, mister. You know, Esther was focused on the mission. She had been risking her life for this. She had been risking her life so that her people might be saved. She didn't want no stinking multi-million dollar estate. That's essentially what King Ahasuerus gave them. A multi-million dollar estate for their time. And by the way, this would have included everything that belonged to Haman. Not just the house, not just the building, not just the facilities, the property. It also included whoever his slaves or servants were, any funds that belonged to him, and even his family were now to be servants to Esther and Mordecai. Like you would think, okay, I'm satisfied with this. You know, no, this is not the goal. You know, I think there's a huge lesson for us to learn from this. And sometimes we get distracted by things that we forget what it is that the Lord has actually called us to. We are satisfied with our comforts, with our pleasures, with our riches, with our wealth, whatever it is that we want with things. But God has called us to a mission, to something great, and that is to go make disciples of all nations. Why? So that they may be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And let's not be so overly, let's say, satisfied by the things of this world that we lose sight of what's important, the things that are eternal. Esther knew that. She says, that's not what I'm here for. That's not what I'm risking my life for. My people are at risk. And of course, this is a generous reward, 100%. And I think good on the king, you know? you know. I don't know how many of you guys are like me, but sometimes I know when my wife's not feeling well, whether it be my fault or not, and sometimes it is my fault, I, I try to get something to help her feel better. And so I, my, 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 very seldom, yeah. Yes, very seldom make her feel bad. But I try to do something to kind of, uh, um, you know, atone for my sins or whatever it is that's, that's messing her up at the moment. And my per- particular love language is gifts. I like receiving gifts. And so I think that so does she, but she doesn't. She doesn't really care for things. And so I give her something and I say, here you go. Like that doesn't help me right now, but thank you. You know, <laughs> it's like that. Like that's, that's the approach that King Ahasuerus had. He tried to be like, here you go, have all the things. Remember, this is a very materialistic king. Remember chapter one? of Esther, you have all this fame and glory and all these beautiful things that he's just boasting about. And here it is, he's giving it away and all his wealth, but this is not it. Verse one tells us that Esther finally had told the king what Mordecai was to her. So now it's also very clear, very out, that Mordecai is her cousin, the man who raised her as her father. And so King Ahasuerus knows that everything's out in the open now. There's no secrets here anymore. Verse 2. And then, after, I believe after figuring this out, because Esther had one favor over the king, and the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. In addition to that, so now Mordecai is the prime minister of Persia. He's holding the position that Haman once had. In addition to that, Esther says, here, you take over the house of Haman as well, because I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to do there. There's a lot of responsibility. There's probably people there who don't even want to see me right now. 
you handle it, right? And so a lot of responsibilities all of a sudden put on Mordecai the Jew, the one who the gallows were built for to execute. God had different plans. God had plans for this man, and he's going to position him in a way that no one can remove him. You know what position Haman just gained? It is equivalent to the position that Joseph had back in Egypt, only second to the Pharaoh. This is the position that now Mordecai has been put on. And you've heard this before, and I'll have you fill in the blanks. And with great power comes great... That's Uncle Ben from Spider-Man. We all know that, right? What great wisdom. With great power comes great responsibility. Mordecai now has much power. And although all of this is nice, again, this is not what they wanted. This is not what they needed. But God is moving. It is what they needed. It is part of the, the next step. God is putting people with purpose in the places that they need to be. And he's continuing to position all of them for the next step. For no one could plan this. Mordecai and Esther could not have planned this for themselves, but the Lord is moving and he's moving mightily. And now they're positioned with a purpose to be able to fulfill the next thing. And again, that which Esther was risking her life for had not yet been achieved. So the battle's not over. Yeah, Haman's dead, but the edict is not. And so therefore she needed to continue pleading for the salvation of her people. And she obviously loved her people more than she loved herself because any time that she pleaded for her people, she was putting her life at risk. You see that? Like this wasn't just a person you go to and talk with all confidence and with all, you know, it, 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 this is a person that had the ability to put you to death if you came uninvited. And so Esther kept putting her life on the line for those whom she loved. Let me ask you this. What about you? Do you love your family, your friends and neighbors enough to plead for their lives? Are you pleading for the lives? What am I saying? Are you praying for those who have not come to salvation yet? You know, not everyone in our lives has salvation yet. We need to plead for them. We need to ask the Lord for them. We need to come to him and praise be to God that we can. We no longer run the risk of dying for coming before the Lord. Thanks be to God in his flesh who actually made a way for us to be able to approach the holiness of God, right? And so now we can come to him and we can plead for those whom we love. And so who are those people? Just take a mental note. Who should I be pleading for? It really should be everything. But make it simple for yourself so that you're not everywhere and lost and confused. Just pick someone and plead for them. Pray for them. Do not give up. Let's take a look at the next point of interest that I have here is Esther's passionate pleading. Let's use her hair as an example. Let's read uh, uh, verse 3 through 6. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haven. Do you see the picture there? She's just not asking. She's bawling out. She's, her face is probably a hot mess at this point. But she knows what she's asking for. She's begging. She's pleading. As, as, as uh, I think it was uh, Buckwheat would have said, pretty good pleading. You know, she's passionate. She's, she is all in. <clears throat> she wept and pleaded with, with uh, the king to avert the evil plan of Haman, the Agagite, and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. And when the king held out the golden scepter, praise be to God, her life is spared once again. Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, if it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king... And I am pleasing in his eyes. Just the, the, the level of humility just never ceases. And I'm so, 
I'm so impressed by this. She says, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, <clears throat> which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are all in the provinces of the king. For how can I bear? How? How can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? This is her plea. She's coming to um, Xerxes transparent. There's nothing left for her to hide. And so again, she didn't want to be saved alone, clearly, because her salvation was guaranteed. Mordecai's salvation was guaranteed, right? But she didn't want to be saved alone. There's more to this. It's more to my salvation. God has given me a commission, a purpose, a mission, a plan, and I'm to go and make disciples. I'm go to do the best of my ability to see that people come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It's not me who saves. It's not Esther who saves. It is God who saves. But yet he has given us that responsibility. And so all we can do at least, at least to thank the Lord for our salvation is to tell others about it and he will do the rest. And this is what Esther is doing. She's pleading for her, for her people. She was not distracted by the rewards. Esther had her salvation, Mordecai did too, but everyone else was still at risk and that was very important for her. You know, sometimes if you're at all like me, sometimes we're tempted to stop praying for those that we've been praying for and we really want to see just transformed and changed. Sometimes we start praying for them when we don't see God moving or when we don't get answers. You know what I mean? It's like, forget it. I, I wanna tell you, don't give up. Continue pleading for those people. Continue coming to the Lord in prayer. First Thessalonians 5.17 calls us to pray without ceasing. That means don't stop. Don't stop. Keep praying, keep praying and everything. Ephesians 6, 18 causes out to be well equipped with the armor of God is what that passage is talking about. And he says, praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. That means all times. All times means all times. You know, come to the Lord. Continue pleading for others. Keep, keep praying. God hears our prayers and he answers in his time and according to his will. So even if our prayers are wonky, thanks be to God that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and and prays on my on behalf and makes it straight, right? My father-in-law is a very persistent fellow if you've not met him. And if you have met him, you probably won't see the side of him until you're maybe at his house. But he's a very persistent fellow. Thank you. And uh, he'll always say, you know, God, <clears throat> no, excuse me, he'll always say things like, the squeaky wheel always gets the grease. And he'll call people. And after he calls people like a, like a service or whatever, he'll call them again, he'll call them again, he'll call them, and he's annoying. You know what I mean? But he understands that he can't give up. And I was telling my wife, I think that actually might be biblical. <laughs> but let me show you what I mean. Let's look at Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. This is a parable of the persistent widow. Jesus tells the story, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Always pray. Don't lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yes, this, yet this widow keeps bothering me. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. This is important. And the Lord said, 
hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a, that's a deep question. Do you guys have faith to continue to, to believe that the Lord can do what only he can do? Let's, let's continue in prayer. Let's come to him. Let's not give up. He will un- answer justly, and I think that's a key word. That doesn't mean that whatever we bring to the Lord, the Lord will answer according to our will. He will answer it according to his will and justly. That's what justice is. You know, it's according to the word of the Lord, and the Lord uh, will not revoke even his words, to be honest with you. And so Esther keeps pleading. She keeps pleading regardless of this impossible circumstance, because look, she's asking for that which cannot be done. Verse 5, she says, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman. Now, if you really think about this, that's ridiculous, because once a Persian law is passed, it cannot be revoked, and Xerxes reminds her of that uh, later. Uh, But here's the thing. Likewise, God's words will not be revoked. What he has said, he has said, we cannot pray against his will. Numbers 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and he will not fulfill it? In other words, God will not go against his own word, his own law, his own justice, his own character. But we can still come before him totally transparent, emotions, confusions, whatever we may have, we can come before the Lord because here's what happens, and we see this through David often. Sometimes we come all messed up, not knowing what we need. Sometimes we pray for even the death of our enemies, right? But the Lord really changes our heart around, and then we start beginning to pray for what He wants for us according to His will and His righteousness. So it's important for us to come to Him. And so what, what, what Esther does, it's interesting because even though she's asking to revoke a law, God has a better plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up you one. I'm gonna, let's make a new one. Because that's the only way you can kind of amend a Persian law is if you had something else to kind of uh, uh, oppose it or neutralize it, if you would. And so Esther was not ashamed to beg. She knew what she had to do. She comes to the king. And this time, the king didn't walk away, which is good news. Last time, he walked away. Remember that? This time, Xerxes responds. Let's look at that. Xerxes responds, verse 7, Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hung him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. It kind of sounds to me like Xerxes felt that he had done enough. It sounds to me like Xerxes thought he handled it. I already dealt with it. I gave you the stuff, right? In other words, he was content with that outcome. In his mind, there was nothing else to do, right? But again, this, this, his personal problem was, was put to rest by the death of Haman. But on his own, I don't think that he would have actually done anything to spare the Jews from there forward. So Esther had to plead for, for, for them. And honestly, I think that what Xerxes does is totally does next is totally based on Esther and his thought of Esther. Esther had one favor with Xerxes. The Jews hadn't. He was willing to help the Jews because he loved Esther, right? So... He saw Esther, and whatever Esther wanted, he said, even up to half of my kingdom, whatever it is that you want. He loved her. He would do anything for her. She was a representation for everyone else, and so thanks, thanks to God for Esther. You know, likewise, I think that if we have a very, very similar type in shadow, because when God looks at the believer, at the Christian, you know, he sees Christ in us. And he forgives us because it is Christ's righteousness that is passed on to us. 
So he doesn't see our filthy, sinful nature. He sees Christ's perfection in us. It's because of Christ that we're able to, to be in his presence and to be ransomed and to be reconciled to him. But here's the thing, though. God is way better than Xerxes. Because Xerxes didn't, didn't think that. He just thought of Esther. God did everything else to bring Esther to that point. However, in this case, in the way that God sees us, is he loved us even before the fall. And so he made a way so his son would be that atonement, that propitiation for us. He loved us even before we were sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He loved us always, not just because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we're able to be qualified to be with him, to have that that, that restoration, that reconciliation, to be reconciled with the Lord. And so moving on, Xerxes allows for justice to continue because he loves Esther. And so he gives Mordecai the authority. He knows that Mordecai is a trusted man. He can trust him with his life because Mordecai has saved his life. And so he gives him the authority to come up with any way to save the Jews. You're smart enough, man. You might have an idea. But again, the original edict cannot be revoked for Justice to continue, Mordecai had to take over and exercise his new role and responsibility because with great power comes great responsibility. Mordecai takes over. That's the next section. Verse 9 through 13 says this. <clears throat> the king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan. By the way, that's June. On the 23rd day, that's June 25th, just in case you wanted to know. And then edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews and to the satraps and to the governors and to the officials. He's essentially doing exactly what Haman had done initially. He's making this official, and it's going to come... It's going to go to everyone who's under the Persian Empire from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces to each province, its own script and to each people, its own language. And everyone will know exactly what this is. There should be no confusion. And so he wrote in the name of the king and he sealed it with that signet ring. That's authority, baby. When and then he sent the letters by mounted couriers on swift horses. In other words, there's no time to lose. Everyone needs to know this and they need to know it fast. What are we going to do? We're going to do exactly what they were given permission to do. So if they had the ability to persecute us and plunder our goods and destroy us, you have the ability to defend yourself against those and do the same to them. In other words, you better think twice now, right? And if God is for us, who could be against us? And so when God is with his people, they're unstoppable. And so this is the new edict that comes out. And so the first one's not revoked. But the problem with those who were actually going to take advantage of persecuting the Jews legally no longer have the ability to do it safely. And you don't want to mess with God's people. Even Haman's wife knew that. Remember that? And so this is it. And so Mordecai takes over. He does what I think he's just genius about it. He does not revoke the old law, but he does something to help the Jews to bring hope. And he does it lickety split. He uses the very first Pony Express, right? They're going out in swift horses. You can't get any faster than that at that day. And so he does it. We have to do it hurriedly because he knows that times is of the essence. And so when we plead for people, we know, hey, tomorrow's not guaranteed. Tomorrow's not promised. Start now. Pray for them now. Take that message now. Today is a good day for that. And so verse 14 says that the couriers mounted on their swift horses that they were used in the king's service. And I like that they make that point because these were special breeds. That means it is going fast. This is not the little donkey that most people had. 
These are war horses and they're getting the message out. There's an intention there to, to, to really hurriedly give this message. Like little Pedro from my story, you know, he went to tell his brother to come quick. I tell you, the moment he left us before we went to the restaurant, it, was, it almost seemed like his little brother was following him all along because he went and came back fast. He was in a hurry. He knew he had no time to waste, you know, and he also was very quick to be there right when we needed him to be, to tell us the message that we needed to hear. We need to be, we need to have a sense of urgency, if you would. Like, this isn't a matter that we can say, you know what, I'm going to sit on this one for a while, and then I will deliver the message. That's not the attitude to have. And so here's what happens. The message is delivered. And the outcome is hope. The Jews rejoice and they were filled with gladness and joy. Look at verse 16. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And I think that's so good. It's not only were they given hope, they were also promoted from being people with no significance, totally expendable by all means, because their lives were actually destined for destruction. They went from that to being honored and esteemed and protected. Doesn't it mean something to you when someone prays for you? They care about you? They love you enough to plead for you? That is a beautiful expression of love. And so when we come together, this is the, the beauty of being a body of Jesus, right? To coming together, to be able to bring our prayer requests to one another, to pray for one another, because we love one another, we care for one another, and we really want the Lord to really show big for each of us. This is not a selfish salvation. This is something that we're so eager and delighted to share with others. And so they were given hope. They were giving purpose, honor. I love that. And, and, and this is exactly what Christ does for us. If it weren't for Christ, what is our purpose? What is the meaning of man without Christ? Without that promise for the future? Romans 6, 3-4 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, by him, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We have hope regardless of what's happened. Regardless of whatever we think we've been marked for, we have hope because of Christ Jesus. We have hope and it, it's going to be awesome and it, it's going to be good and it is going to be just. So let me leave you with a few takeaways. This is a lot here in this chapter. First, our salvation should move us toward compassion for those without it. It should. I'm going to challenge you with something. Who's your one? Pick one person that you know needs the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. One person. Who's your one? Write that name down. Pray for him or her. Plead for that person. And don't give up until you see the Lord answer that. Be persistent. Come to him. He, it is his desire that all would come to salvation. That's what the Bible tells us. We don't know who will or won't, but we, were, we will plead for them. We will pray for them. And you just let God do the rest. But just pick one person and plead for them, pray for them, have compassion for them. Second takeaway, plead to God for your family, for your neighbors, for your loved one to come to salvation and restoration. Your children, your spouse, brothers, sisters, maybe even someone here to come to restoration, to come to salvation, to come to healing, anything. We need to pray for one another. 
pleading is important. We need to come to the Lord and plead for one another. That's pretty good pleading. Number three, let's move quickly in announcing the gospel of Jesus, the message of salvation and joy. We have to move quickly. Do not delay. Tomorrow is not promised. Move quickly. If there's someone in your heart right now that you know you're being moved to pray for, start now. Just pray for that person. There's a reason for God that God puts that person in our minds and hearts. And I just want to tell you this. The gospel of Jesus, which is the good news of Jesus. You know that the gospel means good news. It's way better than the gospel of Mordecai. What do you mean the gospel of Mordecai? You know what the word gospel means? It's good. We don't hear that word often except for when it's directly associated with Christianity, the gospel of Jesus. But the word gospel is just good news. And so that's the way it worked back in the day. When there was wars and the war ended somewhere in the distance, they would send a swift horse to proclaim the good news that that war has been finished. That was the gospel of whoever that person was. In this case, the Jews are hearing a gospel from Mordecai, good news from Mordecai. Do you see that? But the good news that we get from Christ is so much better. This right here is hope. And this right here gives them the permission to stand up against their adversary. The hope and the gospel that we have through Jesus is, it is finished. There's nothing we need to do. There's nothing more that needs to be done because God has finished it through Jesus Christ. Amen? And so surrender to him. Plead for one another. And I hope that this blesses you as much as it has blessed me. And I commit this to you guys. I will plead for you always. You do the same for me? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Uh, truly profitable for us, Lord Jesus, and challenging in such a beautiful way. I ask, Father, for those who do not have your salvation, will you beckon them to you, to you, Father? Will you see them, the necessity, the beauty, Father, of being with you? Will you open their eyes, Father, and their ears to the gospel of Jesus, the good news? And Lord, send us. We're here. We're ready. We're available. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that someone has prayed for us, too. Lord, we pray for those, our loved ones, our friends, without ceasing, asking you, Father, to do something beautiful and amazing according to your will and your ways. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.